Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Hello and happy Monday to all of you. Glad to be here. It's my first day out of bed in eight days. I'm going to try to get through this without having some kind of coughing fit. But if I do, I'll just mute the microphone and we'll just wait it out together. Thank you for joining me for this week's teaching. I am Krista Bontrager and I am a Christian theologian and public apologist. And this is the channel where I offer teaching about the Bible and theological commentary on social issues. And uh, I have been sick for quite some time, and I do want to thank you for all of you who have been praying for me and sending me well wishes. Thank you so much. Um, and I just couldn't stay in bed anymore, so I decided today's the day I'm going back to the office. So here I am, and I am excited to bring you a teaching today. This is going to kind of build on the conversation that I posted last week uh, that I did on the Brave Parenting podcast. We talked a lot in that conversation about doing hard things in parenting, uh, taking leadership in our children's lives, leadership in, in their discipleship, in their education, especially in their education about the faith. Today, we're going to talk about a key piece of God's design for our children, because I know that all Christian parents, you know, we want our kids to thrive. And a critical part of doing that is looking in scripture and thinking about how has the creator designed us to live? When we look at how we have been designed from the beginning, how uh, we have been put together by the designer. He is in the prime location to tell us how to operate in the most optimum way. And that brings us to today's topic. I've entitled this teaching, um, Teaching Our Kids to Work in a World That Would Rather Play. And humans, we are struggling right now. Our kids are struggling. We are struggling as parents. And we are struggling with um, rising rates of depression and anxiety and just a feeling of lostness and emptiness. And I have a theory. This is just a theory. This is an opinion. You can weigh it out. You can talk to the Lord. You can do with it what, what you may. You can ignore it. That's fine. But I have a theory that Part of what is wrong with us right now is that we are not living according to God's design, his design for our true betterment. And I think that a major part of what is going wrong with us as a society and with our children is surrounding work. Uh, I hope someday I can teach a class on the theology of work, because I think that this is an issue that we need to give much deeper reflection to because it is part of our design and our makeup. And we're going to look at some of those passages today, but there are many messages in our culture that are telling us 
and telling our children and training us and discipling us not to work. And in my own parenting journey of parenting now young adults, that's the season that I'm in, I have found looking back and reflecting on my journey as a parent that discipling my children about work and money has had a substantial impact on the quality of their life as young adults. And in this episode, I really want to share with you some scriptures and some practical ideas that might be of some help to you. Again, you can weigh these things out, uh, but in your own discipleship effort for your kids. Okay, I am ready, and I want to say thank you to my husband, who now he's a little under the weather and got up out of bed to help me with this talk today because it's going to be a lot of slides. So if you're listening to this on the audio podcast version, you might want to jump over to YouTube so you can see the slides. Um, but either way, hopefully um, I'll do a good job of explaining the slides as we go along. But um, with that, we will start at the beginning. And that is that one of my main overall tips that I have for parents um, is that we need to parent these days from a posture of being countercultural that we have a countercultural message that we are a countercultural people and Christian parents these days. And again, we're not talking about the days when we were growing up, we're talking about this moment. And I'm starting to believe more and more that really the, the changing moment in our culture, a critical changing moment is in the Obergefell decision back in 2015. And that things since then have really shifted significantly in, in our culture. And we've been talking a lot about this in my doctoral class, so it's kind of on my mind, but we need to understand that we need to have conversations with our kids that they will be different. If they're growing up in a Christian home, they're going to be different than their friends, their peers, and they might even be different from other people who call themselves Christians that they might um, not fit in and that we are going to be parenting from that place of being countercultural. And that's going to involve some conversation with our kids. And so as I unfold the teaching today, I want you to keep that big picture principle in mind because some of the things I'm going to say, your immediate reaction might be something along the lines, well, that's hard or how will, how will I help my kids fit in? And we might have to start thinking differently as Christian parents that we're going to have to have some discussions with our kids about not fitting in and what we're going to do to build their resiliency to live according to God's design for their life, even if their peers are not. And that we are going to trust in the word of God in his design for our life uh, will help our child flourish. It will help us flourish better than if we just go along with the world. And as we get into this teaching about work and helping our children appreciate work, helping ourselves grow in our understanding of what the Bible has to say about work, we have to understand that we're coming into this, into a culture where, where we live in a, in a time and a place where the government is de-incentivizing work. The government actually pays people not to work and farmers not to plant. 
this is the kind of upside down world that we are living in where everything is programming us to go against God's created design. And so we have to know that in our countercultural living, we are likely very truly going to stand out simply by doing simple things. I'm not saying these things are easy, but I'm saying that God's principles are, are very simple and simple to understand. Now, we don't always want to cooperate with them. We might want to resist them. We might not be ready for them. But we live in a culture that is wanting to disciple us and disciple our children in an upside down way to live against God's design, to not to work and not to plant, not to work hard. We also live in a time and a place that is programming our kids and even ourselves to some degree with having a sense of entitlement versus a sense of responsibility and hard work. Um, these messages of, you know, I deserve and you, you know, I have a right and all of this kind of thinking is programmed. It's baked into the culture and in the ways that our children just naturally pick up on it. It's the air they breathe. It's the water they swim in. So we're going to, again, as Christian parents have to really be diligent and intentional about developing a sense of responsibility and hard work in our kids. Because again, we truly believe in the authority of God's word and that God's ways for how he has created us to live are the best ways. So if we really want ourselves to thrive, we want our kids to thrive, we're going to have to stand in faith on the authority of God's word that even if our kid stands out, we are doing the best thing for them to help them thrive, okay? So we're going to go over four biblical principles about work. And we're just going to step through each of these principles and the scriptures because I want you to know first and foremost that this is truly God's design for you and for your kids, so number one is that God has created humans to work. This might seem sort of basic, but in this upside down world that we live in, and if we're going to answer the call to be countercultural, we've got to get solid in our conviction that God has created us to work. That work is not part of the fall. Work is part of God's created design for us as humans. And teaching our children to work means that we are teaching them how to flourish according to the way that God designed them. So sometimes our tendency as parents is to want to make things easy for our children because that is sometimes easier for us. Sometimes we just don't like to hear them complain. Sometimes we don't like the eye rolling and the sighing. And what we have to get convinced of, we have to, what I say, know it in our knower, we got to really know it, is that God has actually designed our children to be at their best when they are working, okay? So we see this in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man or humans 
in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the creation. Let them rule. In other words, they are going to be God's appointments uh, to govern the creation. God has appointed them as lower magistrates to rule over the creation as his governors. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So both the man and the woman are designed from the beginning to co-rule and reign over the creation, and humans alone are created in the image of God. As part of that ruling over creation, when we turn the page, um, when we drop down to the very next verse, Genesis 1.28, we see that God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the creation. So again, what do we see? That what is it that the man and the woman are supposed to do? Is that they are to govern, they are so, to subdue the earth. And so the idea here is that that the, the world is kind of a wild and woolly place out there. And the man and the woman were in the garden that God designed. Uh, and we have locations of where the garden was, and it seems to have been limited in its geographic scope. Some Old Testament scholars have hypothesized that part of what Adam and Eve were going to do was bring the rule and reign of the rest of the planet under control. They were going to subdue it. They were going to extend the garden that God had established and extend that over the earth. But they would also rule over all the animals and steward all of that as well. In Genesis 2.15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is what I want you to know, okay, is work is part of the creation. Work is not a result of the fall. So if we have a mentality and we speak in words in front of our children of I'm just working for the weekend, I'm working so I can play. That is not a Christian way of thinking. A Christian way of thinking looks at work as a form of love for our neighbor. And when we are engaging in work, we are loving our neighbor and we are engaging in how God designed us to rule over the creation. So work is part of the created order. So if we are going to be at our optimal capacity, we must instill in ourselves and in our children an ethic to work. Adam was a farmer. He was a hard worker. You know, he's going to work the, the garden and take care of it. Anyone who's tried to weed a garden knows that is hard, backbreaking work. And this is how it was from the beginning. Work has become complicated because of the fall. When we turn the page to Genesis chapter 3, we read these words. To Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you eat food 
from it all the days of your life. So work becomes more complicated after the fall. We have something happens where we have this more adversarial relationship with the ground, with the creation. But from the beginning, work is part of how we are created to live, how we were designed. We don't stop working because of the fall. There will be more obstacles and challenges. Human sinfulness, if you struggle with your boss, the problem might not be the work. The problem is now I've got to interact in this relationship and human sin is coming in and complicating things. And again, we don't, it, scripture doesn't spell out what happens with the ground, but there's some sort of shift there, change there, that we have this adversarial relationship with our toiling to, to create the fruit of our work, but the work is still there. The image of God is still present in us. It is marred because of the fall, but we go on. We press on into God's design for us. So in summary for this first point is that work is part of the created order, but because of the fall, work is harder. What I want to you to think about just for a moment is I think that when we turn to the end of the story in Revelation chapter 20, we see that we will even have a form of work in the new creation or in the new Jerusalem where we will rule and reign with Christ and we will judge, do something with judging others. I don't know who these other people other beings, other souls. I don't know what's happening there, but that we will be given the ability to judge in first uh, Corinthians. It talks about Paul talks about us judging the angels. I don't know what all that means. That's a mystery to me, but I do think it's interesting that the, this idea of the ruling, the rulership, the governorship uh, remains in the new creation, that just as we were created in the image of God to rule and reign over this creation, those who are in Christ and go into the new Jerusalem, into the new creation, will be doing some kind of reigning, some kind of judgment there. And so I think that that means that ruling and work is intrinsic to what being a human person. To be a human being is to work. It is to govern. It is to reign. And it is for us to do it together, men and women side by side. Now, I don't know what all that work is going to be in the new creation. I just don't. But it seems like there are some kinds of rewards that we get when we go before the judgment seat, when we come into the new Jerusalem. There are rewards for things that we have done here. So we want to rule faithfully. We want to work faithfully while we are here and um, using our hands to produce something good. Okay, number two, our first biblical principle about work is that God has created humans to work. Our second principle is that all honest work is honorable. Now, immediately, whenever I do this talk, <laughs> I, this slide used to read all work is honorable. And then I get, you know, 
smart Alex who will say, well, not all work. And is prostitution, does that count? And okay. So I had to add the word honest, all honest work. So theft and deception, fraud, anything that breaks 10, the 10 commandments, sexual perversions. These are not examples of honest work, but what I want you to know is that all honest work is honorable. So whether you are a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, you bag groceries at Trader Joe's, or you work for a Fortune 500 company, make lots of money on Wall Street, before the Lord, what matters in that situation is that you are doing honest work, that you are being diligent, and that you are not stealing from your boss by stealing time or um, that sort of thing, or engaging in frauding your boss. Here's just a few scriptures. Proverbs 10, 4 says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 14, 23 says, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Ephesians 4, 28 echoes these themes. It restates these beautiful principles of God's law. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And notice the, the compare and contrast between work and slothfulness. Diligence is what brings wealth, okay? Mere talk brings poverty, right? This is how the Christian ought to think. The Christian plan for, for wealth is through work. I have another teaching on my channel about God's plan for you is to prosper. And I know there's a lot of talk, you know, about the prosperity gospel, but there is a sense in which God does have a plan for wealth. And I outlined that in that talk. So you can, uh, if you want to go deeper into this particular point, you can do that. But it is important for us to communicate to our children that if you want to be wealthy, being a YouTube influencer is not a path to wealth necessarily. Okay. It might be, but what we want to do is really connect in our child's mind, work and wealth. Okay. Wealth is not something that we get um, so that we can have a life of ease. Wealth is the result of diligence and hard work. So we might have to do some things to help our children keep those things connected in their minds. Second Thessalonians chapter three says this, for you yourselves know that how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. So even in ministry, ministers of the gospel, we are so grateful. I am so grateful for all the people that support the ministry. Uh, really, they're they're giving the money to the Lord and the Lord is distributing to, to us. And But yet I have a, an obligation and responsibility to work hard, to be diligent, for the sake of the gospel. And when I am working 
and working long days and long nights. Um, I do that with, with this, these kind of verses in mind. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order that we may offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They are busy bodies. But such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Work is a part of the created order. It is part of God's design. And so if we want our children to flourish, we are going to have to teach them the principle of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping is a principle of how God has set up the universe. Okay. So we're going to teach our child that all honest work is, is honorable. It's profitable, but it requires diligence. We're going to have to teach them the principle of sowing and reaping. But what happens when we in our good intentions or maybe even our own slothfulness, we don't want to enforce that principle. We don't want to let that principle of sowing and reaping um, play out. We want to protect our kids from that. Well, if our child doesn't connect in their minds, the, the, make the connection between money and work, uh, you can't expect a paycheck if you didn't do the work. Okay, so we've got to make sure that we are not stepping in to interrupt that connection in their mind. That we are, when we are teaching them that work is honorable and that there's a principle of the universe of sowing and reaping. In other words, what I sow into something is what I'm going to reap. If I do the work, then I'll get a paycheck. Or if I do the work, in the ground, then I'm going to yield some vegetables. Or if I'm going to do the work in building this remote control car, then I'm going to reap the benefits of having a remote control car. Whatever the situation is, we must allow our children to experience the principle of sowing and reaping. But so often these days, what I see so many parents do is we just give them the end result. We don't make them work for the thing. We don't make them go through some hard times and some wrong turns and and some, some stumbling blocks. We want to rush in and cover the consequences for them. We've got to help our children know that all work is honorable. Uh, when my children were young, I used to point out jobs to them all the time. I would be telling them when they were very small, what kind of teenager job would you like to have when you grow older? And I would point out, this is a good teenager job. This is a job you can scoop ice cream, you can mow lawns, you can wash windows, you can do this. And we, I would point out to them, all work is honorable, whether they're bagging groceries or whatever it is. It's not that only if you get a high paid job or a high education job, that that's an honorable job. It's all work is honorable, but we have to also build into that the principle of sowing and reaping. You can't get the paycheck if you don't do 
the work. Number three, the fourth of uh, three of the four biblical principles about work. The number one was God has created humans to work. Number two is that all honest work is honorable. Number three is God's people ought to practice a rhythm of work and rest. Now, without getting into all of the controversies about Sabbath keeping and all of that, what I want you to, to just know in general principle is that from the beginning, from the created order, God had a plan for humans to work for a period of time and rest for a period of time. And I think under the new covenant, um, you know, that's a whole complicated discussion, but I think under the new covenant, what the Sabbath points forward to is the new creation and our eternal rest. But there's still practical benefit. Even science tells us there's practical benefit to working. And we see this principle, Genesis 2, Exodus 20. This is part of the created order and it's part of the Ten Commandments that we have periods of work and rest. This is part of God's design for flourishing. Now, I'll just share with you as a personal story. This is something that I struggle with. I am a workaholic. I work very hard. I work a lot. But what I noticed a few years ago was that if I didn't take a Sabbath, you know, and for me, my Sabbath started on Saturday night and it would go through Sunday night. That was kind of what I worked out is what my Sabbath period would be. And so it was sundown on Saturday night to sundown on Sunday night. So I would have a period of rest. My quality of life went up. And I noticed that having that period of rest really helped me rejuvenate. Now I'm trying to get back into that rhythm. I kind of laxed off during COVID and we were home all the time and working from home and all of that. And I've been trying to get back into my rhythm of having one day a week of really good rest. And it, it does make a difference, but that's something you want to teach your children, your children too. You might have a child that's kind of like me and it's sort of a workaholic or has those tendencies of just work, 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 work all the time. That's a child you're going to want to work with on, hey, it's also okay to take rest. It's also okay. And this is part of God's created order for you too. Yes, work hard and yes, take a rest. Okay, number four, our fourth biblical principle about work. Number one was God has created humans to work. Number two is all honest work is honorable. Number three, God's people ought to practice a rhythm of work and rest. And number four is that work is an expression of our love for neighbor. And I mentioned this briefly a few minutes ago, but I think this is really important because um, when we think about loving our neighbor, sometimes that can be like a very nebulous idea. And I always like to say that caring for people, the work that we do ought to begin at home. When we work around the house, that's a way of loving the people that we are in community with in our home, whether we're washing the dishes or unloading the dishwasher, or taking out the trash or vacuuming the floor or working in the yard or doing the garden. All of these things are services that we do to love one another and love and service 
and caring for the needs of others ought to begin at home. It says, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Anyone who does not provide for their own relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So you notice that if we're going to work, the work that is really important to God first is that we are providing for the needs of the people that are in our care. And for a, a widow, for a grandmother, for a parent, for our children, we should be providing. If we do not provide for those in our family, we act like we're pagans. We, we don't know God. But, but if you're a Christian, you know that the creator of the universe has created you to work and that the most important work that you do is for those around you. And this includes training your children to do chores around the house. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But the chores that we do are not just mundane chores. They're, they're not just mindless things. They are tangible ways that we express the, the love that we have for our neighbor and our children need to be trained to participate in those daily chores. It used to be that children would wake up and go out and milk the cow and, and feed, feed the livestock in the morning before they would go to school. The mom would make the lunch. These are all acts of service. And the children would become full participants in the ruling and reigning, the governing over creation. But because so many of us live in urban contexts now and we're, we're so tied to our mobile devices, we've kind of let those things slide. But I think that that's actually part of the created order. If we want our children to live according to God's design, we need to help them begin to participate in the ruling and the reigning over creation, to learn how to um, participate in the family life so that they are engaging in acts of love through work, first to those in the household and then in the larger community. So as you are thinking about strategizing, okay, how am I going to transfer these principles to my children? You want to help them see that scooping ice cream at the ice cream shop or mowing their grandparents' lawn or washing the windows for their elderly neighbor. These are not mindless tasks. These are tangible ways of loving their neighbor. For example, there was one time we went through a drive-through and um, ordered some tacos and a, and a soda going up, through, up to the window. And I see this young man and he sees that my drink that he has, he has gotten on the machine is pouring all over the place, down the sides and everything. Before he put that lid on there and gave it to me, he took the time to get a towel, wipe all around the cup for me so that it was dry, and then he gave it to me. That is a very 
tangible and potent example of how something that is mundane is a way of loving our neighbor. He was treating me and giving me that drink, that simple act in the way that he would want to be treated. He wouldn't want a big sopping wet drink given to him while he's driving. So he took 10 seconds to dry off the cup and give it to me. These are the little things that we want to be training our children. This is not just a job that I show up for and I do the bare minimum and, and who really cares, but rather I bring diligence to the equation because this is an expression of love for my neighbor. So a couple of questions for you to consider as you are talking to your kids and trying to um, train them in these principles is what attitudes do my children pick up on based on my comments about my work? Kids are such crazy observers, aren't they? They can smell hypocrisy, you know, a mile away. So if I'm trying to tell them about the virtues of work and how it's honorable and, and it's an expression of love for neighbor, but I'm always complaining about my job and I'm always saying I'm just living for the weekends, they're going to pick up on that. So you might have to think about your words about how you talk about work. What am I teaching my children about the importance of work for their dignity? So I'm going to say something a little controversial. Something for you to weigh out. If it is true that we have been designed by the creator to work and we, we function best when we are working, what happens to a child that is not required to work? that doesn't get to grow up and practice ruling and reigning. What's going to happen to that child's development emotionally, physically? How am I potentially robbing them of their dignity because I am not discipling them to work hard in a way I am withholding from them their place of working at their best. And that's not going to help them grow up into all the potential that God has for them. Now, I know that this is hard. What I'm talking about is going to be hard because against we're going against the culture. Many of us have been discipled by the culture to... Um, think about work a certain kind of way. And so if you start making shifts, I don't know what it is about kids, but they're all kind of lawyers in training. I don't know if you've noticed that. They're going to have complaints. They're going to have concerns like, wait a minute. I don't, I don't know if I want to go along with, with working. Why do we have to work? But here's some things for you to consider talking over with them is when they, they come to you and they're like, why are we doing this? Why do we have to work all of a sudden? It's because it's part of God's design for us. This is what we've been created to do. Because when you grow up, I think you plan to eat. <laughs> okay? Sowing and reaping. Um, you're training them in self-discipline. You're helping them build that neural pathway in their brain that, oh, if I don't work, there's no paycheck. Okay? 
because this is how we love our neighbor. So these are just a few ideas for how you can respond to the, to the, the little lawyers living in your house of this is why we're going to do this. This is why we're going to make some changes. This is why we're going to start living a little differently. Okay, I want to talk for this last portion of the teaching about the importance of chores. I can't emphasize this enough because life is full of what I call the grind. It's full of the day-to-day. That's what life is. It's the day-to-day. And and loving our neighbor begins at home. So I want to encourage you to start these principles early and often. But even if your kids are older, it's not too late. You can still make changes and call them up into all of their God-given potential by having a home where work is emphasized. So when your kids are preschoolers, when I say early and often, I mean it. Preschoolers, they can pick up and put away their toys and clean their room with help. And you might have to be there with them, okay? You might have to help them learn how to sort and stay on task. And, you know, where do we put these things? And where do we put these trains? And, oh, we got a train bin. And where do we put Legos? We put those over here. They can learn how to make their bed with help. They can put their dirty laundry in the basket. Uh, Moms, you are not their slave, okay? Help. Remember, you are training up someone that God has created to rule and reign over the creation. So we're going to start with small things. They can put their dirty laundry in the basket. They can help you sweep up or clean up spills. They can fill a pet food, uh, the pet's food. They can fill water bowls every day. They can spray and wipe windows and counters with help. They can uh, put out clean towels and toilet paper with help. These are all ideas. You might have your own ideas. But we want to come up with things, and ideally chores are things that are assigned. So the child just knows, like in the old days, I wake up every day and I go out and milk the cows, okay? Our grandparents weren't telling people, our great-grandparents were not telling our grandparents Hey, I'm going to nag you some more. Go out and milk the cow. Our grandparents just knew, I better get up and milk that cow before school. How did they know that? Because they knew that there would be consequences if they didn't. It wasn't a big conversation. It wasn't a big fight. If it's a big conversation and a big fight, then we need to have a conversation about some consequences that aren't clear and swift and connected to the actions. It's a different conversation. But Our children should just have a sense of when I wake up, I know what I'm going to do. I know that I have these chores, okay? Uh, Ages six and up, bringing in belongings from the car to the house. Um, We don't, kids can know that I got to bring in my backpack. I got to bring in my coat. I bring my shoes. I got to do all this stuff. They can do that. They can help set the table for dinner. They can help carry in the groceries. They can match socks and helps sort and fold clean laundry. Um, I used to have my kids like, well, they could at least fold the underwear or fold the washcloths, the the small things. Um, Empty small trash cans. If you're like us, you know, you got to have a one night a week where you got to go through the house and collect all the garbage. Uh, A six-year-old, seven-year-old can easily do that. 
spray and wipe windows and counters with help, uh, clean floors. Uh, I used to have my kids, you know, learn how to do the broom. Then I would come by, do a little cleanup after the broom, but they would do the first pass. Um, water the indoor plants. I can't keep plants alive, but I know some people can. So that would be a good kid task. Ages eight and up, change a dirty cage or tank. Parents, if you have pets and you are in charge, you seem like your default in charge of the pets. Something has gone wrong. Uh, children are very capable of taking care of pets. It can be part of their daily chores. Helping put groceries away in the pantry, vacuuming, mopping. My kids, they know how to clean. Uh, fold the laundry, put it away, unload the dishwasher, spray and wipe the toilet, um, scrub the toilet, wash the shower. I remember my mother had me washing the shower the time I was a little kid. I could clean the whole bathroom. Uh, fix their snacks, pack their own lunch, uh, clean the inside of the car, water the garden, rake the leaves, shovel the snow, take out the trash. These are all things that kids can do. And remember, why are we doing this? We are training children up to live, to help rule and reign over the creation. So moms, if you're exhausted, start thinking about delegating. Start thinking about chores and then enforcing those chores, knowing that there's consequences. If they don't help them get in that rhythm, help them know what to do. Clean the kitchen counters in the sink ages 10 and up. Rinse the dishes, load the dishwasher, fold and put away the clothing. Keep a clean and organized room. Clean the mirrors. Wash the car. Keep the entrance of your house picked up and clean. Change the bed sheets. Take the pets for a walk. Ages 13 and up. Go grocery shopping with parents until they can drive. Grocery shopping is very educational. And um, I'd love to do a whole teaching on budgeting. That's the whole other side of the conversation of when you get the money, what do you do with the money? But that can be very educational. Plan and cook an easy dinner for the family. Our daughter started learning how to cook when she was about 15. And um, I am not a good cook. Thankfully, Monique came along, taught her a lot about cooking. Uh, my mother taught her a lot about cooking. She can bake and cook really, really good. Uh, rinse dishes, load the dishwasher, wash the laundry, wash their own laundry. My kids have been doing their own laundry since they were little and they might make some mistakes. They might make some wrong turns with that, but that'll be a good example of sowing and reaping. Uh, run family errands, mow the lawn, change light bulbs, change the vacuum bag, learn how to maintain a car and household appliances. This is something that's so important. I'm going to encourage you handy moms Handy dads out there, let your kids follow you around when you're fixing something. That's how they're going to learn how to fix something too. Uh, these are lost skills. Help them learn. Clean out the refrigerator and the pantry together. Anyways, those are just ideas. You can work on your own ideas. The purpose of all of that is just to get you thinking. Now, whenever I do this teaching, people always ask me, should I pay my children and allowance. So here's my thought about allowances. I'm not really a fan of them. And here's why. Um, I think allowances in general decouple work from money. 
it breaks God's principle of sowing and reaping. And so in our home from a young age, uh, we had our kids as early as like three years old collecting aluminum cans and bottles. And they even, they, they figured it out pretty quick. Like, Oh, if we save these bottles and cans from our house, we can turn them in for money. So then they started recruiting their grandparents to, to save bottles and cans for them too. And they could turn that into money. And so when you're like three, four, five, six, seven years old, you know, you get some money, you want to run out and buy some Legos, but, uh, it taught them the principle of work leads to money. And so we would take them to the dump. It smells bad. We had put gloves on them. We stood there for an hour and sorted all the bottles and cans. They had to endure all the stink, but they were learning how to do basic work to get money. As I got a little bit older, when they were about 12, 11 or 12, my husband would take them out on uh, to in his business and they would put in a hard day's work, an adult day's work. It was hard work, physical work. And they, he would pay them a good amount of money hourly for their work. And we taught them, you know, how to save and all of that. And so you might have to be creative in how you do it. We never paid our kids for chores. Uh, chores are part of loving our neighbor in, in, in the house. But what we did do was we would, uh, for me, and again, this is just an opinion. This is how I worked it out is that chores are part of being in a healthy family. So we didn't pay our kids to take out the trash or fold laundry or clean their room, but we did pay our kids for tasks that I would normally pay someone else for. So if I paid the gardener, let's say $20 a week to come mow the lawn, I could, I, I felt okay about paying girls, you know, that much, or if I was going to pay someone to wash my car, detail my car, um, do some extra things, I, I, I might pay them for that. Um, so that's kind of how I worked it out, but I always tried to, we tried to keep money and work in close connection as possible. And that's not to say that there weren't times when, um, you know, like one of our kids, maybe really wanted something big and um, like going to camp every year. That's a big bill. It's about $400, And so we said, okay, we'll pay this much. We'll pay a third and you've got to pay a third. And then grandparents were going to kick in a third. And so they had to come up with, you know, a good chunk of money, 125, 150 bucks. One year, uh, one of them did it by selling some toys um, other times they did it by saving up all year. One year, uh, the girl sold flowers for Mother's Day and to people at our church. Um, so there's just lots of creativity happening. But again, the principle was trying to keep sowing and reaping money and work together and encouraging our kids to be entrepreneurial. Now, again, that was like with grandparents saving cans or we had one daughter, she went through a little spurt of, um, making balloon animals for, for parties. Um, but, you know, these are things that we want to encourage, help our kids understand, oh, if I am in business for myself, then I can make even more money. So 
these are some of the practical things that my husband and I have learned over the years. Some things I would do differently now. Some of the things I've talked about today, we didn't do when our kids were young. I regret it. Uh, there's some things I feel like we did well. There's some things that we did kind of good. I wish we had done it a little bit more, but overall, these are sort of the general principles that I have found over the years of parenting and now working uh, and seeing the fruit in our kids as young adults that I think are important for parents to think about because so often I hear parents talk about like, you know, they're, they're struggling with their, their kid. They think it's lazy or you're not living in their optimum. And I really think that if, if a child is struggling like that, it could very well be that they are crying out for more structure and more work because that is what we are designed to do. And so with that, Tracy says, I was taught that doing chores was because the family is supposed to work as a team. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what I was saying too. And in my family, regular chores were unpaid. Special projects were paid. Yep. That's kind of how we did it as well. So, all right. With that, I hope you found this teaching helpful. Uh, please share it with a friend. And one last thing I want to tell you is that probably the kid that you're going to struggle the most with is if you have a kid in your home who really likes to do kind of the bare minimum of everything just to get by with the bare minimum amount of effort, that's the child that you're really going to have to get proactive on helping them really understand the principle of sowing and reaping. You're going to probably have to make that child's life a little harder maybe a lot harder. Um, and you're, you're probably going to have to really work on your discipleship with that child when it comes to helping them develop their work ethic. And in the realm of sowing and reaping, that might have to look like bare minimum daily chores that are unreminded and just totally expected. And if there's not, then there's consequences, not a big conversation, but just consequences. But you're probably also going to have to completely get that kid away from screens for a few years to get them uncomfortable so that they'll maybe find a hobby <laughs> or start to um, develop an appreciation for their contribution in the family. And because remember, you're trying to raise somebody's future spouse. So making things hard for that child will in the long run, hopefully help that child um, get past their tendency to just wanna do the bare minimum. But if you constantly give in to their tendencies, to do the bare minimum and you just let them get away with that, it will become a habit that's solidified over time. It is very hard to disciple that out of them later. And they're going to just have to figure that out on their own as an adult. But um, the end goal is that you want to help them 
move out of your home <laughs> and support themselves and become a productive member of society. But more than that, you're helping them walk into their destiny as someone who's been created in the image of God and been created to work. Well, I hope you found this teaching helpful. Please check out more of my teachings related to Christian parenting and work on my channel at Theology Mom. Please share this teaching with a friend that you think will find it helpful. And with that, good afternoon and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.